Today, my guest is Colleen Rosenblum. Colleen is the co-host of Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, which is a podcast for women in midlife and beyond. Colleen joins me to share her family's experience helping her daughter navigate and then survive and thrive after an eating disorder. I'm so happy to have Colleen join me today. Colleen, can you give a little bit of an overview of your story? Yes. Um, It's my oldest daughter, and she had a severe eating disorder from the age of about 12 or 13 through about 20, but honestly, I think she still will have it for the rest of her life. I don't think it's something that it's like, it's an addiction like anything else. And you have to choose Mm. every day to not fall into that addiction. Um, and it was, you know, unfortunately it happened at all, but it also happened at a time where my father was terminally ill and he was in hospice and I was flying back and forth with my, you know, I have three sisters, so they were helping obviously, but it was a very difficult time. And it's something that I, you know, honestly, until maybe the last year, I didn't really talk about because I, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. What do you think made the difference in the past year or so? My daughter's openness about it. Um, I had said to her, how do you feel about me talking about it? And she said, I, mom, it's, it's your journey mm-hmm. too. And I don't think I ever looked at it that way. I kind of, it was a family issue, but I never really thought of that as part of Mm -hmm. my journey. And so having that, you know, the biggest fear I think I had in the beginning was just, I had no one who understood it. I had no one who I could turn to. Like I was inventing the wheel there because there was no one out there that said, this is what you're going to do when your child is diagnosed with an eating Mm -hmm. disorder. did you not have no. support? There were no peers is what you're saying in, in your community that you knew were going through this. You know, it's an amazing thing when your child has an eating disorder. Um, it's almost like you become contagious and people don't want, they think, oh, well, if we spend time with you, my daughter's going to have an eating disorder. So if I take you back to the time, um, my daughter had just started high school. In retrospect, she had been fighting the eating disorder for probably about a year in that time. But when I would ask her, you know, you're losing a lot of weight and she'd be, you know, mom, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, it, it, running around and doing things. And I would see her eat, not knowing that she was throwing up mm-hmm. after the fact. Um, so I think because she was so young, she was 12 or 13, I didn't really put two, two together. And then all of a sudden... she was a freshman in high school and it came out that she just couldn't take it anymore. I think the, the shame of hiding it got to be too much. And I'll never forget picking her up from school and she was upset and she's, she's very sensitive to begin with. And at a certain point in the car ride, she just screamed, mom, can't you see I'm starving myself? Mm. And I was like, I pulled the car over because obviously I wasn't going to drive And I just looked at her and a million things went through my head, but all I could say to her was, okay, the bubble has now burst and we need to deal with this. We need to get you help. Because before that, it was always the picture perfect. Like the family was the picture perfect family. And, you know, we were very close and everybody did really well in school and la la, you know, all those things that you think are important that you realize very quickly are not. Um, 
So I went home and I immediately called a friend of mine who was a therapist and she referred me to um, a licensed LCSW who really wasn't a specialist in eating disorders. And I had to, I literally had to do my research. I had to be my daughter's advocate. So I found a nutritionist who dealt with young girls with eating disorders. I found a therapist, a psychologist who dealt with girls with young eating disorders. And then we went through three therapists because my daughter who now studies mm. psychology was able to manipulate oh, wow. them. Um, if they did not specialize it. So if I can say anything to women who are going through this with their children, because it happens to boys too, they will manipulate if they can. So find a specialist that deals in eating disorders because they are going to recognize the signs. And that's where we started. We had her going three times a week to a nutritionist and to a psychologist and to a psychiatrist. She fought every step of the way. And it wasn't something that just got better. It was a fight for years. It was probably three or four years of fighting before she hit rock bottom. So when you when you talk about rock bottom, when she confessed to you that she had an eating disorder in the car and she said, I'm starving myself, was, was that born out of a disagreement about something off topic? Um, oh, completely. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. Um, I think it, she just, you know, cause I had been bringing it up a lot. I don't like that you're losing too much weight, I think. And, you know, they are going through puberty at that mm-hmm. point too. They're 12, 13, they're just getting in their periods, their bodies are changing. Um, and I didn't, certainly didn't want to put anything in her head. I didn't realize one of her friends was already bulimic and had taught her mm-hmm. how to do it. Um, so can you take me back? So, so you, you, had you discussed it with your husband at that point? How, how concerned? No, no, my husband. Okay, so idea. you're watching your daughter because I'm trying to. Mm-hmm. She's eating. She's yeah, right. We have meals at the table. She's eating. I see her snacking. Um, what I don't know is she's going back into her bathroom and throwing up later, because she would do it in the shower. She would take a shower at night and throw up. And unfortunately, and this is something that I also want people to understand, is that her younger sister knew before I did, because she would hear her in the shower. They had Jack and Jill bathroom. And she felt the need. So this, she's now 10 and she feels the need automatically to protect her sister. And now she's guilt for not telling us sooner. I said, that wasn't your journey. That wasn't Mm -hmm. your job to do that. So everyone deals, you know, there's so many layers to this because I'm very close to my girls and I always felt like I knew everything and I knew something was wrong. I just knew it, but it didn't click in my head because I saw her eating Mm -hmm. all the time that she was starving herself. That just wasn't something that was clicking in my head. Well, she's eating, therefore she's not starving herself, but why is she mm-hmm. getting thin? And plus, had she ever seemed to be the kind of girl who was concerned about this stuff, about weight and body? Never, never. She never had posters on her walls. She didn't ask for magazines. Um, she wasn't super athletic or a super gym rat, so she wasn't exercising a lot. Um, she worked with, from the time she was 12, she's always worked with special needs kids. So she would ride horses and she was active, but she never gave off the signs of someone who was getting obsessive about her weight. I never saw her at 2 AM mm-hmm. doing sit-ups or it really wasn't the typical, what you see in TV shows and, and movies, typical eating disorder indication. Which is really frightening as a parent 
a lot of things are scary as a parent, as I've learned, I have two myself and not being able to understand what's wrong with the child that you have is haunting. It's, it's devastating. I mean, there's, there's really no way to describe because some women will say I had an eating disorder and that may be true for them. But when you are in the depths of a true eating disorder and your child's life is at stake, that's very different than I'm not eating. I want to lose 10 pounds or I throw mm-hmm. up occasionally when I'm stressed. I mean, my daughter was throwing up multiple times. Do a you day. understand what um, was happening for her now? what what the trigger was does she know does she talk about that with you what what do you understand of why this evolved when it did i think it was a couple of factors i think socially she um everything was changing at once and she was trying to cope with that uh control she wanted to have control over what she ate and didn't eat um i think she felt a lot of her, I think she just felt out of control a lot of the times and coping. She just didn't have the best coping skills. Um, so I, I think that was kind of, you know, and then the kids are all talking about it at school. I mean, I don't know. This is back in the early 2000s because she's 24 now. Um, so actually probably 2010, 2011. And I, they were just talking a lot about your weight and how you can avoid. I mean, they, she learned so much of this from her friends at school who learned it from their parents and the body image conversation, right? The, the self, yeah, the exactly. And we would talk about it. I'm very open with my kids and we would talk about your body and your body changes and sex ed. And they, you know, they were never concerned about, I think, coming to me with those things, but the idea of disappointing me by saying that she had an out-of-control eating disorder, I think scared the heck Mm -hmm. out of me. And when did she, from what you know, when did she come to understand it was out of control? I think when she finally uh, let go in the car, I I think she wasn't feeling good. She was getting dizzy. Her period had Mm -hmm. stopped. Uh, I think she was scared. Mm -hmm. And in this time, her pediatrician, I assume this didn't fall in the height of this this issue didn't occur during a time when she was going for an annual. No. And even afterwards, because what happens is once they once you realize that they have an issue, you blind weigh them. So they have to reverse blind weigh. But you don't realize they may drink a gallon of water right before they sta- stand oh, up there. Or they can hide rocks in the pants. Or... There are so many ways they learn to manipulate this that you always have to be a step ahead. And it became my full-time job. My full-time job was to constantly check her room, constantly watch her eat, and then make her, like, it takes 45, 40 minutes to digest. So she knew if she ate something, we were going to go sit outside or we were going to watch a movie. I was not going to let her be alone for at least an hour. I mean, it was, it is a full-time family That's a hard way to live. Getting healthy. It was horrible. And again, my father was in hospice. He was dying. And I I just, you will do anything to get your child safe. And when you can't understand why they're hurting themselves on purpose, um, it's like, it's, it's just, it's like the shame of it is in control. So the more you hide it, the louder that shameful voice gets in your head. 
and she would manipulate. We signed contracts with therapists and, you know, promises. Because another thing that I really want parents to understand is that once they turn 18, it becomes much harder to deal with an eating disorder in your child because they don't have to disclose anything to you anymore. So my daughter really hit rock bottom when she turned 17. And she was a senior in high school. And I said to her, you are not leaving for college unless this is, you know, stabilized and you will go for, um, cause she had promised yet again and, and another therapist. And finally there is a, um, organization called Renfrew. It's centers all over the country that deal with severely, um, severe eating disorders, both ends of the mm. spectrum. Um, and I said to her, you're going in outpatient. When you say both ends of the and spectrum, said, what does that mean? There are eating disorders where women eat too, or men mm-hmm. eat too much, which I wasn't aware of. So when we would go into the family therapy sessions with other families, some of the kids were were obese because they were eating to, to solve their problems in a different what, way. What did you think they of that? What, what did that make you feel? I was shocked. I didn't really realize that it was a spectrum. Um, also, it's age. I mean, there were women in there and men in their 50s in there. I, I had the youngest... Well, I think was 12 because by that point, Jordan was 17. And I think the oldest was in her late forties, early fifties. I think Uh, it seems like there's a lot of, I mean, I'm projecting here, but I feel like as a mom, I want to address something here because I think whenever something happens with your kid, it's very easy for other people to make judgments and to, to assume that there was some sort of, uh, role the parent played in whatever is happening. And I want to ask you what that was like for you. Oh, I, I, they didn't need to say that to me. I had already accepted that it was my fault. Like, that's what I thought. Because a few years before that, I was diagnosed with colitis. And as a result, had to go on a very strict diet of, you know, vegetables and fruits and stuff and had lost some weight, not because mm-hmm. I wanted to, but just as a result of my diet in order to improve the colitis. And I think she connected my happiness of not having to be sick all the time. Cause I was sick all the time with IBS mm-hmm. and colitis. Um, I think she somehow saw that and thought, well, mom's mm-hmm. happy. You know, so I had already assumed responsibility. It wasn't until years later in therapy that she said to me, mom, that was never hmm. the reason. But I just assumed, yeah, I, I started this. She saw me get healthy. She she was so young. She was maybe eight or nine. She didn't realize that it was a health issue for me. Were you getting um, complimented too for your weight loss at that time? Probably. But for me, it was never about, I never had a weight issue. So luckily, um, so I, I just felt better. Like I wasn't running to the bathroom every two seconds. I was able to leave the house. Like I just felt better. And I think she probably saw that years before as, look, mommy's losing weight and she's Mm -hmm. feeling better. Well, it was never about losing the weight. Um, And then she has friends that started doing it at school. And so it was kind of, you know, a perfect storm. Um, And, you know, and again, they will throw everything at you when they start treatment because they don't want to. And she threw that at me. She threw a million things because they go after the people they trust Mm. the most. And it's, it's a, it's a horrible guilt feeling. And it wasn't until, like I said, years later, when she finally said to me, it had nothing to do with you, mom, this was about me, not you, that I realized, okay, 
I will always feel guilty for that, but I can't take total responsibility for Was that. Was it hard for your your other daughter to to go through this period of time where the older one was getting so much of the energy in the family? Um, she never really sought attention, my second one. She's very mellow, but I think she had a lot of guilt because she knew mm-hmm. first and she protected her sister. She knew she was throwing up in the shower and she knew that her sister wasn't eating, but she felt like it was betraying her sister by telling me. So I think she had a lot of guilt for that for a long time. And part of treatment is the person who has the eating disorder taking responsibility for their role in it and not and making sure that other people understand that it would have happened regardless of their hmm. behavior. Is that true? Is that um, there's really no stopping someone when they want to do this? Um, gosh, it, it's a question that I don't know necessarily the answer to. I can only speak from my experience and she was just on that route. She was going to do it and she was going to control it. And she pushed everyone away um, because it had such a control on her. It's, it's this shame and guilt that just takes a hold and just completely skews reality for them. You know, there's just no other way to describe it. And it wasn't until my daughter, I was careful to always say it's about feeling healthy because she had so always had so many things she wanted to achieve. And I would say, how are you going to achieve those things if you're not strong? It had nothing to do with the number on a scale because that's like one of the, do not bring up, oh, you gained five pounds. Yay. Hooray. It's not about those Mm -hmm. numbers. Um, it's about, are you strong enough to achieve what you want to achieve? Do you want to grow into being a woman who can have children and who can have a career and goals and achieve those goals? Because you need to have the nutrients in your body to be strong and healthy to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the approach we took that seemed to resonate with her. Putting her in Renfrew, you know, I will tell you, it's an interesting thing with insurance companies. Um, our insurance covered nothing. So we were paying a lot of money, which I didn't care at the time. I would have done anything to Mm -hmm. save my child. But when you're taking all these doctors and then they say, okay, let's get her into Renfrew. And Renfrew says, we can put her on in-house, which means she'll live here and your insurance will cover that. We didn't want her in there because there were a lot of women who were teaching other women at the time what to do. Um, how to hide, how to protect, how to cover up your eating disorder. We wanted her, it was three nights outpatient, or we could take her to the facility, literally wait outside and come back in. So we had to pay for that out of pocket because the insurance companies refused to oh, do outpatient. It's been a, a, um, a lot of money. So it was, it was a lot of money, but looking at her now, it was worth sure. every penny because she is... Um, she's always been, I have to say, she's always been a highly sensitive mm-hmm. kid. Like she did not take any negative comments. Well, if you said, go, you know, did you wash your hair today or your shirts messed up or there's a stain on your pants, she would just break mm-hmm. down. So she was always been very hard on herself. It's probably a trait she will always have, but she has learned that I need to be strong and healthy to achieve the goals I want to achieve. Um, but that was a process. That was five or six years of really hard 
soul searching. Now I see that the doc is funny because the doctors I took her to that I researched and found are now all together in one facility. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Gosh, I wish I had seen them that way years ago, but you know, they're starting to realize, oh, you know, someone who's seeing a nutritionist also wants to see a psychologist who also wants to see a psychiatrist. Let's all get together. So it's a one-stop mm-hmm, shop yeah. for people because that helps so much. And she also senior of high school went into a group of other girls and started to mentor because she was kind of on the road to recovering and mentoring other girls going through that was really helpful for her as well, because it made her realize I can use my experience Mm -hmm. for good. And she, so when she was at Renfro, was she also still attending high school? Mm -hmm. So she was having sort of a a normal part of her life, try to stay, stay normal. Exactly. We tried to keep her in school. She, the only thing we did was she was in a lot of like, she had AP and she had an independent study. And we kind of backed off some of those because we wanted her to prioritize mm-hmm. her health. Um, but she's graduated high school on time. She, we did look for a college that was located near a Renfrew facility because we said to her, if you start to feel like you're falling back, cause you know, senior, um, First year of college is mm-hmm. so challenging. We want you to, and at that point, she was self aware enough to say, I will ask for help if I need it. But getting to that point, it is hard, and you are going to have a lot of tears and a lot of fights, and you're going to have to fight for your kid's life because they're not going to fight mm-hmm. for it. They won't, something in them doesn't think they're worth fighting for their life. And it is until that light bulb goes off, you have to be the one to fight mm-hmm. for them. Is there a point, do you think, where, um, I guess I have so many questions about this, but let me let me start with this one. How did you find the line between really digging in and pushing and making sure you were vigilant and also giving her space and a leap of faith to trust that this was going to ultimately be okay? That took a lot of time. Um because it was, I didn't trust her for a long time. Um, as I started to see her care more about herself, I think I trusted her judgment a little bit more. Um, I would, oh, I, to this day, when she's super stressed, I, I get a knot in my stomach, you know, because I want to make sure that she's talking to people. Um, but it, it's hard because when they're 15, 16 and they're hormonal and they're going through all this stuff and do I want a relationship? And there's so many other factors at play that you don't want to be the helicopter parent controlling everything. But I would always say, if your health isn't there, none of that is important. Mm -hmm. Which ties Um, it back to health and and well-being and not the way the body appears. Exactly. And, And if I had a suggestion... For parents, it would be to take the health approach, not, oh, look, you gained five pounds. I'm so proud of you because that's not what they want to hear. They only hear, oh, my God, I gained five pounds. I'm fat. Mm-hmm. But if you say, oh, my gosh, look, you were able to walk with me, take a walk today or or you're, you know, you're, you're it's just from the approach of health. You know, I would always make sure like smoothies worked for her. So I would always make sure to make healthy smoothies and and the power and the energy with them and whatever seems to resonate with your child to get them to get healthy. Cause the healthier they become, the more their mental 
capacity will come back. When they're starving themselves, they can't think mm -hmm. clearly. Mm -hmm. So the more nutrients you can get in their body, the healthier their mind's going to be. And then you can talk to them rationally. Yeah, because you talked about this as an addiction. And so it has the it same is. sort of components, right? And because food is something that you have to eat to survive, I would imagine that this is a really difficult uh, addiction to deal with. It's a tricky situation, especially for teenage teenagers. Um, she happened to have a friend who was a, a boy who went through an eating disorder the year before her, and he lost a lot of weight. And his he ended up going to the same therapist that just coincidentally um, that we did, and he was a great source for her because he was on the road to recovery. So he would come over all the time and he would be a support system for her and they became very close and they're still good mm. friends now. Um, but if you can find a group of people going through mm -hmm. it, it's so helpful. And you, you said earlier on that the therapists, she manipulated them in the beginning. So oh, what, what is that like? I mean, I've heard before that you want to have a therapist who is as smart as you so they can catch you if you happen to be lying. What what do you think was the mm -hmm. problem, or what what was what exactly was going on in those sessions that you think you know made them made them ineffective? I think because we didn't go to someone who had a lot of experience with girls and eating disorders. You know, it's kind of like doctors. You can go to a general practitioner, or you can go to a specialist. And she needed a specialist. She needed somebody. I mean, when we finally got her to the right doctor, she called her out on everything. And my daughter would come into the car and be so mad. And I had such a fight with her, but yet she would go back the following mm -hmm. week. Um, and, and somebody needed to call her out on stuff. And so if you're not going to a specialist, you can't expect them to catch everything. Right. You know, you. how much? Sorry. So the more you can... No, it, I'm saying the more you can find, and there are, you know, there are organizations that you can go to online, eating tour organizations that can find local doctors in your area. Use those, you know, resources. Mm -hmm. Do you, did your extended family, did they, do they understand? Were they sympathetic? Um, they understood. Uh, some of them didn't think it was as serious as it was. Um some of them kind of didn't want to deal with it. Everybody had an opinion. That's for sure. Everybody had an opinion. But I did have support. My mom was very supportive. My siblings tried to be supportive. My friends were, I have a best friend that I've had for 20 years. She was by my side the whole time. But other friends, like I said, they think you're contagious. Well, your daughter has an eating disorder. She can't hang out with my kid anymore yeah. because... It might, she might catch it. Little did they know that most of their daughters were already sick and they just weren't dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Did you? So, and that's the sad reality of. Did you keep those friends? No. No, I still don't talk to them. You know, it's. I've had some of them apologize, and I have hold nothing against anyone, but I have to be selective in who. I bring into my life because my energy level, I I'm one of those people who kind of absorb other people's mm -hmm. energy and 
I, as I've gotten older, I've just been selective in who comes into my world. It's kind of like quality over quantity. Yeah. Well, that's another benefit of getting to this age, right? Exactly. Exactly. You def- and, and like I said, I have, I have great friends and my best friend, Karen, has been with me through thick and thin. And I will take one really good friend over 10 so-so friends. Right. I think that is also, that is wisdom, right? That comes with our ages. Yeah. And it really is, it's, it's support. So yes, my fa- to answer your question, yes, my family was supportive, but everybody comes from a different perspective. And unless you're literally in her room cleaning up vomit, you do not understand what it's like to experience that. You just don't. And you, you, you can't explain it. It's terrifying and it's horrible, but you can't explain it to the point where people really understand how dark it is. What is yeah, no, I think, I mean, that was my sense because people react to difficult difficulties so differently. And I can imagine that would be hard for anyone who wasn't dealing with this, who's not a professional to deal with it straight on. Exactly. Exactly. And there, it really, you need the experts. You, you don't know how to handle this. And you're not supposed to, but you are supposed to find those people who can help you. And if they're not helping you, find another one. Do not leave your child's life in the hands of someone you don't think is going to make a difference because you have a finite amount of time before they turn 18. Mm-hmm. And you, after that, they can only tell you what you're permitted. Like as soon as my daughter turned 18, I made her sign all the forms. I said, if you want to go to college, I need to know that you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So I made her sign Right. So you were lucky you had some time left, right? I mean, did, yes. How- and I felt that I felt that age eighteen looming. Mm-hmm. So she would say, "When I'm eighteen, you can't make me do this." I said, "Well, you're not eighteen yet." So, and by the time, thank goodness, she was eighteen, her, her mind was much clearer than it was before. Did you? How did you and your husband handle this? How? How? What was the toll like on on you two when you were in the thick of this? Um, it takes a toll on every family member. I think um, my husband was very supportive, but he didn't want to deal with it on a daily basis. You know I mean? He was working hard and I kind of took the reins and I would tell him, okay, we're going to this doctor and he would come with us, but I kind of laid the groundwork and he would come with me through it. But he was very supportive of her, anything she needed. He was willing to do whatever it took to get her healthy. Um, but the day to day was, all, was pretty mm-hmm. much me. So, we're in an interesting time because your daughters are now, I think, are they both back living with you? Because we are recording this (laughs) during the pandemic. And so a lot of people have had their kids who are in college or starting their lives come back to stay with them to have some sort of center, right? So what is it like now for you and your daughter knowing that she, would you say she's in recovery? Will she always be in recovery? Yes. She'll always be in recovery. It's a choice that she'll make every day, just like any other Mm -hmm. addict. Can you, and she makes that choice. She's doing great. I mean, the stress of COVID is, you know, again, that's something that I would worry about. Um, She is in grad school, but she's also a preschool teacher for kids with special needs. And the school closed for two months Mm -hmm. during COVID so I worried that she was going to have too much downtime. Downtime is not a, her friend. It gives her too much time to think. But she did other things. She, you know, 
started a garden in the backyard. She planted plants. She watched, binge watched a ton of shows. She spent, we spent time together. So I'm very, very close with both of my daughters. Uh, they're my world along with my husband. And I'm, but I'm always looking to make sure that she's handling things and I'm proud of her. She's, she's doing great, but it was a road. Mm -hmm. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it is a journey, a journey for all of you. What is it like? I would imagine, because I mean, anyone who's had anyone who has kids, I mean, I think one of the main things I learned as soon as I had kids was that my, my experience is not going to be anything that I expected with, with raising my children. It's, I don't think a lot of people get through parenthood in any kind of straightforward way. I think that everyone has something that they have to deal with at least a couple of times while your children are growing up that you didn't ever plan on having to deal with. And I, I wonder what it's like for you and for your family. How do you walk that line between taking the relationship for granted and knowing everything is okay and also being aware that that is tenuous and and do you feel it's tenuous or can you take for granted the way she interacts with food and her life i don't think it's as tenuous now as it used to be i think with each passing year i feel a little more confident in her coping abilities um she's been in recovery for about four years now so i'm grateful for that she will always have a strange relationship with food it's just the way she is, but she's healthy and she's working and she's strong. And for that, I'm grateful. You know, it's a funny thing. You give birth to these children and you say, I'm not going to do what my parents did with this, but I am going to do what my parents did with that. And they're going to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. And if they tell you their kids have no problems, they're lying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you do not get through this life unscathed. You do not raise children unscathed. It's just a part of life that they're on a journey and whatever journey they happen to be on, you're on it with them. So you do the best you, it was so, because I am a perfectionist and I am very, I don't like sitting in the middle of a problem. I like to find the solution. So my coping way of handling it was to keep finding a solution. Okay, this isn't working. What's the next thing? What This isn't working. And I had to learn to kind of sit mm. in the muck of it. Like this is happening there's not always a solution, or if there is, it's not for right now, maybe for six months from now. That was very hard for me. That was probably, you know, besides fighting for her life, the hardest part for me. Um, and just seeing, you know, now I see other kids who clearly have eating disorders because it's kind of like you can, once you're a parent of an eating disorder child, mm -hmm. you can kind of see mm -hmm. it. And I feel terrible that it's still so taboo. Like you, people don't talk about it. People still think it's contagious. People, it's a, it's an addiction. It's a mental health issue, just like anything else. And people don't like to talk about. If that you stuff. saw it for people listening, if they saw something that seemed worrisome with another child, what what's your advice? Um, some people don't want to hear it. Um, I had a friend whose daughter was in the depths of an eating disorder. And I had just emailed her saying, if you need any resources, I'm here. And she was like, thank you. And I never heard back. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. She wasn't ready. She wasn't there or she had already found her own solution. I can only pay it forward. Like if people, you know, I would never walk up to somebody and say, your child clearly has an eating disorder. I would never do that. Um, 
but gosh, if I can make one person feel less alone than I felt at that time. I mean, I just remember thinking I had this perfect bubble little reality I'd created mm-hmm. and it burst. And that, you know, in retrospect, that's okay because it never was really there to begin with. Um, but if there had been anybody there to say, okay, this is what you need to do. Oh gosh, I would have so appreciated it. Yeah, that. you had to kind of invent it as you went. Right. So why why make other, not make, why have that loneliness for other parents if you can avoid it? Like, and that's the reason why I started talking about it because like I said, it's been years and I've never talked about it, but gosh, if I can make one mom or dad feel less alone, that it's, it's more common than you can ever realize for children and adults. It's also happening in midlife. And we talked to an expert on our show about midlife eating disorders because a lot of women are now discovering, you know, I'm going through menopause. My body's changing. I'm no longer as young as I was, but I can control my diet. It's becoming an epidemic for midlife women as well. So if the judgment, judgmental kind of element could be removed, that would be that's what I would hope. Yeah. For. We've always talked about it at home. It's never been mm-hmm. like taboo for family, but just because she was no longer so clearly in the midst of it, people wouldn't know from looking for, at her that she had an eating disorder. Um, I kind of took her lead and yes. felt like this was her journey and it wasn't my story to tell. And so when we actually taped an episode which hasn't come out yet where we talk about it from both of our perspectives. And it was a really hard episode um, mm. to tape. And I wasn't ready to put it out. And she goes, mom, you'll know. I'm ready. I'm fine with this, but you'll know when you're ready. And I just feel like for some reason now I feel more ready because she's comfortable with it. Maybe that's that's well, I think that's that's actually a really that's so vital because it is it is your story, but it's her story, and I understand why you might not have put it out. I, I it's hers to tell, and if she's ready now, she's in her twenties, and she feels like she can have it out there. Then yeah, because you're right. It was it was what she went through as well as what you went through. Right, and my journey was so connected to hers that I couldn't really tell one with the other, and I didn't really feel a need. I, it's, maybe need's not the right word, but. I didn't feel like I needed to have a voice about it. And when you think about your story, regardless of the podcast, let's say you didn't have a podcast and you never started podcasting, forget about the sharing with other people. Where, What kind of a part of you inside does this time with her and her recovery occupy inside for you? Is it something that you go to and think about or is it something that you find you you like to think less about? Um, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I don't think I think about it all the time. I'll always have the guilt that I didn't catch it earlier, that would it have been different if I had never gotten diagnosed with colitis? Would it have been different if I caught it six months beforehand and I didn't trust her when she said, mom, I'm you know fine? Uh, what if, what if, what ifs definitely still linger in my head but I have to focus on what is and what happened. And she, thank God, is healthy and strong and open and communicates more. Um, so they're as horrible as this was, and I'm not gonna downplay any of it, things did come out of it. She's more self-aware, we are closer. Um, 
she talks about it. She helps other people about it. So there are things that from bad things, good things can come. And if anything at all good came from this, it's that she survived, number one, and two, she's helping other people through it. Mm -hmm. She's healthy. She's strong. She's getting married next year. You know, I try to focus on the good and I will worry about her as every mother worries about their child, but maybe just a little bit more (laughs) um, every day of her life. And I worry, you know, now I worry about, can she get pregnant? Was there any kind of damage done because of her periods? And so there's always going to be lingering, you know, will she have osteoporosis? Will she, you know, have all those things that come from something in your past that kind of stays around. I'll always worry about that stuff with her. Um, And I'll probably, and I worry about my younger daughter too with it, but luckily Knockwood, she didn't have the same issues. I do think any parent knows that all your children have issues of some, you have issues. So it's, it's just the course of life. You, you don't get through this life unscathed. Um, but I'm so grateful that we, that people were put in our path when they were and that she did the hard work. It took time though. You really have to be patient, not coddling, but patient with someone who's going through this. You can't, say, oh, just get over it. That never works. If it was that easy, we'd all do it. Or just shove a sandwich down their throat. Doesn't work that way. You know, you have to listen to the experts. You have to follow because you aren't an expert in this and, and don't try to be. You've given so much insight and you've, you've had a lot of good advice about, you know, from your experience going through this. Is there anything else that you really would want parents to know that you want to emphasize again about going through something like this or what they should or shouldn't do or or how they should treat themselves during this kind of a a situation? I would say that when you first learn about it, you will be in shock, even though you think you aren't, you will be in shock. So give yourself some time to process it and then go out and find help for all of you. Uh, the last thing we did was family therapy because uh, we wanted to make sure there was nothing left lingering and we were able to communicate. But this is a family crisis, um, health crisis. It's not just yours. Make sure everyone gets to express their feelings and their emotions, no matter how bad they are, because if they don't get it out, it just festers. And know that the, it will be a, a story of your life. It won't be the only story of your family's life. It will just be one of them. So, you know, get the help, do the work, and then see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can get through this because like I said, she's doing great. And she's the most sensitive, loving, well, both of them are the mother. So <laughs> you gotta be careful. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that you forgive yourself? Oh. That's a good question. I don't know that I'll ever get to that point, honestly. If I'm being honest, um, she has told me that I'm being ridiculous, that it had not, like, almost like, mom, this is not all about you. (laughs) (laughs) This is about me. But I just think as a parent, you just have guilt. Why didn't I catch something sooner? Why didn't I find the right doctor earlier? Why didn't I explain to her more about what I was going through? Like, I just think with parenting comes guilt. (laughs) 
that you ever get over. I'm gentler. I understand more. And I understand that I couldn't have, like, I could not have stopped her from doing this. That I do understand. That this was going to happen for her. It was just her personality and the perfect storm of events. So to that to that respect, yes, I know I could not have stopped her from doing this, but I will always have the guilt that I, I could, I know in my mind I couldn't have done more, but I wish I could have done it faster or easier for her. You know, it's, it's those things of what if, what if. Mm-hmm. Something that do you talk about on your show, on your podcast, now that we're in the last few minutes of this talk, mm-hmm. this conversation, do you, do you find that your guests are forgiving of themselves? I think it's a challenge for a lot of people. Um, I do find that midlife, we are, we do offer ourselves more grace, which is nice to see. Um, but I do think women carry guilt for so much. Like, um, we just want to blame, oh, what did I do? Well, it must have been my fault. And it's not always the case. So it's nice to see that we come to an understanding as we get older, that life has its good and its bad and... It's not always about us, but I think there is a tendency for women in general to just take responsibility for stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and that's yeah. something we have to work on. But as we get older, you know, there is a level of grace that comes with, with age and experience and just watching other people tell their stories. Um, you know, I, I have a dear friend that I had on recently about the Parkland shootings, two of his sons were there during the Parkland shooting and his son Cameron then became, you know, an immediate star and, and how he, you know, did the walk for our lives and all that stuff and, and was dealing with Obama at the time. And I asked him, but how were you dealing with it as a parent? You couldn't get to school fast enough. What were you going through? His second son has is autistic. So he had to worry about getting to him and nobody had really asked him those questions. It was all about your sons and thank God they survived and how you dealt with him becoming an, you know, instant notoriety. And, but nobody ever said, how did you absorb this as a parent? This was traumatic for you too. So I thought it was interesting that we don't always look at it. We're so focused on our children that we don't always look at it from an adult perspective. Like how did it affect us? If that makes sense. Yeah, as it does. I think that what you're doing and finding this space for this podcast and for giving a voice to people during this time is really important. And I think it makes me think a little bit about what my perspective is about midlife and menopause and any bias that I have. People can just, you know, people can talk about it. You feel less alone because that's one of the worst feelings when you're going through the loss of a parent or a child's illness or whatever life is throwing at you. When you feel alone in it, it makes it Mm -hmm. so much worse. And that's what you talked about when you found the community and the support that you needed and how hard it was when you were first diagnosing your daughter, not to have people to lean on that were close to you or people who'd gone through this. It was very isolating. So if I can make one person not feel that, then I'm happy that mm-hmm. I talk about it. Cause that's really the purpose. I want people to understand that I, I'm telling the story because there are resources out there. You're not alone. You didn't do anything that could have stopped it. It's, you just need to get out there and, and focus mm-hmm. on getting help. And there are a lot more resources now than there ever were, even five, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. So can you 
Can you tell listeners where they can find you? Sure. Um, Our podcast is Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. We're on any podcast platform. Um, Our our website is Hot Flashes and Cool or Hot Flashes Cool Topics dot com. And if you have questions or you just want to talk to me more about this, my email is Hot Flashes Cool Topics at gmail dot com. I can't. I don't always have the answers, but I'm always willing to listen, um, or at least refer you to somebody who can get the help. So please do that. And we're on all social media and social platforms. So the podcast is every Wednesday and we're always looking for new ideas. So if you're a midlifer out there, feel free to email, email us with ideas as well. Colleen, thank you for being my guest and thank you for sharing this story. And I, I'm so happy to hear that your daughter is better and that you have taken what's happened and turned it into sort of a new way of living for your family. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for having me on and letting me share the story because I hope somebody out there hears it and realizes there is help. So thank you.